Welcome to the AI Business Podcast, where we feature conversations with interesting guests at the intersection of artificial intelligence and business. Hello, welcome back. I'm Ben Wadecki, and I'm really pleased to be joined by David Kong, SVP and Head of Data Insights at Capital One. David, how's it going? It's going great. Good to see you, Ben. Likewise, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. So you kind of head up what all the data things at Capital One. Talk to me a little bit about what you guys are doing in terms of technology transformation and machine learning. Yeah, um, my team is specifically called Data Insights, and we are a cross-functional group of data scientists, software developers, machine learning engineers, and product specialists. And we have been creating an internal machine learning platform that provides Capital One's associates with governed access to machine learning algorithms, components, and infrastructure for reuse. So our homegrown and open source machine learning algorithms can detect anomalies, trends, uh, run root cause analysis, among other capabilities. And this platform that we're building is really allowing us to democratize machine learning across the enterprise. Now, you asked a question about data, uh, and we've been undergoing um, a, a data transformation that's been a decade in the making. Uh, that includes everything from getting better on metadata, as well as data lineage, um, and getting the infrastructure all set up so that we can really have the stage properly set for us to really exploit and take the greatest advantage possible we can of machine learning capabilities. Dave, I'm interested because Capital One is you know, arguably one of the most forward-thinking in terms of technology in the financial space compared to some of the older players. It's had a traditional base of actually using technology for a number of years, how long, how far back rather does the data insights team kind of stem? Is it a fairly new initiative? Talk me through that. Yeah. So first of all, this has been, um, as I said, a transformation that's been a decade in the making. And it's, it's one of the reasons, as you mentioned, Ben, that I came and joined Capital One was back in 2011, maybe even before that, there was a recognition on the part of a founder that going native on cloud, going open source, uh, and really undergoing a technology transformation from the bottom of the stack all the way to the top was going to be a uh, investment that would have a real payoff. Um, the Data Insights team is an organic offshoot of that decade-long transformation. I would say our team is relatively young, you know, two to three years now, uh, formally constituted to into a Data Insights team um, for about a year now. Um, but uh, the efforts... Uh, are the culmination of really grassroots efforts on the part of some very talented machine learning engineers that were noticing that as we were implementing AI and machine learning algorithms in Capital One, that there was a lot of commonality to operationalizing those machine learning capabilities. And they said, well, if we're going to build this, let's build it so it can be reused and contributed to and built on, uh, which are the fundamental tenets of a platform. The formation of the Data Insights team is the culmination of a very organic and grassroots effort. So before we get into the technology itself, Dave, I'm keen to understand, and I'm sure our audience are as well, is this a worldwide team? Is this just a stateside effort? Talk to us through a bit about that. Yeah, so Capital One is a global company. You know, our uh, operations are primarily focused in the United States, but we also span operations in Canada and the UK. And we also have um, staff that are um, in Asia as well as South America too. So what we do serves Capital One as an enterprise overall uh, and, and is transnational. 
So on that, I think let's get into the nitty gritty a bit. I think one thing that excites me about the work that your team are doing is around fraud, third party fraud. Um, it's a growing thing right now. Cybersecurity and 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 financial attacks are, are growing in the last year alone. Um, talk to me about some of the use cases that you guys are developing. I view fraud as one of the places where our machine learning capabilities are really being put to the test. Uh, this is not something where you've got a static data set and then you run a machine learning algorithm and then some analyst picks up something and says, oh, that's interesting, and then implements a series of defenses. You have thousands of transactions happening every minute. Uh, so there's a real demand for real-time streaming use cases. And then the quantity of data uh, that needs to be processed and then the rules that need to then be created in real time to protect our customers and also to protect our financial institutions as well as our merchants um, need to all be implemented in a very automated way. Our use case for credit card fraud defense, where we're using homegrown as well as open source machine learning algorithms hosted by our shared platform, detects anomalies and automatically creates defenses um, for fraud. So on that, I want to talk about the, the homegrown stuff because obviously that's built obviously in-house. What are you using kind of historical data? What kind of things are you using to kind of build that out a bit? Yeah, so I mean, every single machine learning model is only as good as the data that you train it on, right? So uh, we have obviously been in the credit card business for a long time, and we're able to go back a significant amount of time to be able to train data sets. Um, but a lot of what we're now um, taking in is information and in that uh, a lot of what's informing our machine learning models is what's uh, being signaled to us by customers themselves, right? And without going into too many details, uh, we obviously have digital as well as uh, voice channels for customers to access us, tell us, hey, this was not a, a transaction that I actually conducted on my credit card. Uh, and our agents, as well as our automated systems are taking those flags and signals and informing our machine learning algorithms. So there's a lot of song and dance that happens here where we're processing both historical as well as real-time data alike to inform our fraud defenses. But I'm assuming it's not just fraud, right? Because obviously mm -hmm. Capital One offers quite a lot of products. What else are you doing in terms of machine learning? Yeah, I mean, machine learning is happening everywhere you look, right? Um, even when you go onto our website, uh, the homepage experience that I, Dave, experience whenever I go to Capital One will be slightly different than the homepage experience Ben experiences. And that's because we're using machine learning algorithms to, to understand, hey, uh, what is the profile of this person who's coming to our website? Have they visited before? Are they an existing customer? What do we think is the right thing to put in front of them? Be it uh, a capability that we have that you might not be using as an existing card member or a product that we have to offer you. So there's uh, a tremendous amount in the space of commerce. Also, we are using ML solutions to power things like virtual card numbers um, by Eno. Uh, this is a, a solution that detects a payment checkout page anytime you're browsing the web. So it's a plug-in on your Google Chrome browser, for instance, and allows you to enter a virtual card number that's specific to the merchant uh, that looks and acts just like a real card, but can't be traced back to your uh, actual, the card number that shows up on your actual physical credit card. Um, so there's a lot of different examples. I'm happy to go into more too. Yeah, please do. I think the, the virtual one is, is interesting. Is that kind of been rolled out yet, or is that in beta? Yes, it's been in it's it's been in, in process. I've been I've been an avid user of that for uh, several years now. So when I go to Amazon versus when I go to eBay versus when I uh, check out at my airline's website, I'm using the same credit card 
but a different card number in every single instance. I mean, my passwords and, and things are already a long list, but that, that kind of makes it a little bit easier if it's saved uh, up, up in the cloud. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Talk us through some of the other stuff you guys are doing. Sure. Um, so in terms of customer-facing capabilities, uh, another thing is our Eno Digital Assistant, which is an AI-powered chatbot. This uses natural language processing to assist customers with account management. And it can check your balances, pay a bill for you, activate a card, update your personal information, and a lot more things. So rather than having to pick up a phone uh, and talk to an agent, um, you can actually chat with our chatbot and get a lot of things done. On, on that, Dave, I think chatbots in, in banking is always an interesting one because automation in, in that industry has been kind of been around for a while. You know, you had those automated phone lines, but I think... There was a recent survey that, that we published that said that humans prefer kind of interacting with other humans rather than AI. How do you go about convincing those customers to say, hey, this chatbot solution will do just the same as, as a human? Or how do you go about kind of, you know, easing their, their concerns at all? Yeah, we're getting into Turing tests and all those other sorts of things, right? Um, and uh, it's been interesting now, you know, I've been seeing uh, articles about AI generated artwork, and that sort of has the art community up in arms about whether or not the artwork can be counted as legitimate. Um, you know, I, I don't think we have any pretense of making people think that interacting with Eno uh, can be just as personal and just as effective an experience. Uh, it's not meant to capture those use cases where uh, somebody has a very specific and individualized problem. Um, but we have implemented that tool in such a way that if there's routine things, uh, we can sort of take that burden off of our call center agents and make it easier for customers to get uh, the answers they need more quickly. And then to the extent that they have inquiries that are more complicated than just, hey, what's the balance on my card? Um, to make sure that, you know, is providing an offboarding uh, point for folks to actually then initiate that conversation with an agent. Um, and it also doesn't stand there as a friction point. You know, oftentimes we call into customer service lines and we have to go through huge phone trees and other sorts of things before we kind of finally say, uh, type the number zero or say agent or that sort of thing. Um, it's there as an alternative. Um, uh, I think we really believe in just making sure that we're getting the right answer into the customer's hands as quickly as we can. I think that's a fair response. I must admit there was a, uh, a certain other financial institution I was uh, using this week that's chatbot or rather their automated phone line made me uh, throw my phone across the room in anger. So I think find, finding that sweet spot is kind of the, the important thing. Um, Dave, I think it's important to, to gauge your mind about best practices because, you know, you lead up the data insights team and, you know, you can impart some knowledge to some of our listeners. What do you feel are some of those best practices in terms of democratizing ML in terms of enterprise yeah. level? Well, um, we wanted to make sure that whatever we had as takeaways weren't just specific to the journey that we've been on here in Capital One. So we recently commissioned a study with Forrester about operationalizing machine learning. And we asked 150 data management decision makers what some of the biggest challenges are around making machine learning work for them. Um, you wrote an article recently, Ben. 73% mm -hmm. of decision makers cited transparency, traceability, and explainability of data flows as a key issue. Um, in some ways, this is not surprising. Like data is really hard. <laughs> Having clean data with good metadata that you can trust is also really hard. Um, but it's interesting that that was the thing that came up when we were starting to ask questions about machine learning. I was expecting to see some stuff about 
hey, getting the algorithms trained right and making sure that there's not overfit and those sorts of things were, were the problems. It was a far more fundamental thing about the foundation here is kind of shaky. I'm not sure how nice of a house I can build on top of it um, that came through. So um, a lot of what we have embarked on here at Capital One um, makes us feel in the fortunate position that we can actually start exploiting machine learning and AI on a really solid foundation. Um, so to your question, the things that we have built uh, in terms of implementing traceability, transparency, explainability of data flows, uh, and making sure that we've got really well-structured data infrastructure to support the very intensive needs of AI and machine learning um, is, is the primary thing. And, and breaking down data silos um, and overcoming those obstacles to get to the point that you can actually deploy and operationalize machine learning uh, is, is really having its payoffs. I wanted to ask you about that survey because I obviously, as you said, wrote an article on it, uh, which you can read on AI Business. And uh, I was quite surprised about how low the need, the concept of having diverse, messy data sets can impact it. I thought uh, having spoken to practitioners at our recent event in Austin, that was a huge thing, having you know mm -hmm. diverse sets, but it ranked lower down than um, just reading here, reducing, you know, reducing risk. Um, academic models into deployable products. How do you kind of overcome that, or how do you see enterprises overcoming diverse models, model basis? Because it's a huge problem from from what I've heard. But according to your survey, maybe not. I don't know. Talk me through it. Yeah, I'm not saying that uh, having diverse model bases is necessarily um, is not necessarily an obstacle. Mm -hmm. What I'm saying is a lot of what we've uncovered through this study and our own conversations with colleagues is that we're still learning to crawl before we're walking or even running uh, with uh, AI and machine learning. Um, even just getting the data staged and engineered so that you could, in a sandbox environment, uh, build a machine learning model and see if it is generating any value seems to be a challenge. You know, I, I know that from speaking to other practitioners that it, good deal of data scientists' time is not spent doing data science. It's actually spent doing data engineering. Oh, I need to train this machine learning algorithm that I just built. Okay, now I have to get all these petabytes of data staged and set up um, and put into the proper processing infrastructure to actually run this algorithm and see even an initial result come out of that. You know, we were trying to ask questions uh, to your point, Ben, about uh, different models and different challenges and, and diversity of models and those sorts of things. The answers we got back were more just, well, hold on, I haven't even figured out my data environment and gotten that thing cleared up yet. So I can't really answer your question. No, I think that is important because, you know, uh, one thing that, that is keen in the financial sector at the moment is in terms of AI is that that diverse need for uh, make sure you get it right, because obviously a lot of mm -hmm. historical data has dis discriminated against and perpetuated biases in terms of gaining things like loans and, and mortgages. Um, how important, so you've obviously talked about getting it right from an earlier standpoint. Is that something that you see across the wider kind of financial market in terms of ML needs to be kind of considered more going into to next year? How are you kind of looking at it? So we are very much guided by a mission to build and deploy AI and machine learning in a responsible, uh, well-managed way that puts our people first. So leveraging these incredible capabilities um, 
to make sure that we're looking out for our customers' financial well-being, uh, helping them become more financially empowered and better managing their spending in a highly regulated environment is of utmost importance to us. And that means structured processes, protocols, risk mitigation, model governance, peer reviews, unbiased and closely monitored processes across our machine learning work. So I believe there is a great potential to deploy machine learning and AI in a financial services setting. Like, as we said, the stakes are very high. There's tons of transaction ha transactions happening every second. Um, and there's um, a lot of rich data that can be taken into account uh, that, that can power very exciting outcomes from machine learning and AI deployments. But there is also the sort of Spider-Man uh, with great power comes great responsibility aspect to things. So if uh, a financial institution isn't feeling comfortable from a governance standpoint, and they're not bringing their regulators along, I would be shying away from, from going too far because as, as you said, uh, there's so many instances where we've observed in perhaps more mundane settings where the AI and machine learning has just gone the wrong way. Um, so there's a lot to watch out for. That Spider-Man quote is never more prominent than in, in machine learning, <laughs> I must admit. Dave, um, is that the biggest challenge then in the finance sector in terms of deploying ML, in your opinion? Or do you see kind of anything else impacting uh, the, the work that you your team does a little bit more? So in addition to having a real close eye on the regulatory environment and ensuring that uh, AI and machine learning are being deployed with fairness. Um, a lot of what I've uh, thought about in the financial services sector uh, has gone back to the general importance of standardizing tools, standardizing processes, and standardizing platforms. So not only ensuring that we have very clean, very explainable approaches, but also enabling our data scientists and engineers to more easily identify access data, and build upon very solid foundations to deploy their machine learning models. Um, common platforms can help store um, model training and execution information like parameters and outcomes in repeatable and searchable ways so that models can be more easily audited and reproduced. And also so that people have the opportunity to stand on the shoulders of others uh, and really build community and better uh, improve the performance of their actual machine learning capabilities. Before I bring it back to the kind of business and enterprise stuff, I do have one question on that governance side of thing, because compared to a lot of other industries that we cover, finance or finance is heavily regulated, um, and but AI isn't. Now, the interesting thing is a lot of some of the things that are coming through in terms of uh, AI regulation, they're quite blank, uh, blanket, sorry, in terms of they're affecting all sorts of things rather than you know being hyper-specific. Do you think it's better off having kind of industry-specific governance for a sector like finance when it comes to ML deployments? How do you kind of view that? That's an interesting question. You know, all I'll say is that on Capital One's part, we are really trying to go above and beyond what the letter of the law says and to deploy responsible AI at scale across our enterprise. So we have been really focused on making sure that we are implementing AI responsibly. Uh, and that means building responsible AI into the tools we use and working to develop a framework for embedding responsible AI models into all machine learning development across our company. We have a model risk office 
that is ensuring that our algorithms are reviewed um, and well-governed before we actually put them into implementation. Uh, and we have human-centered processes built into every step of implementing machine learning and AI. So when we build products, systems, and solutions, we're doing so with the customer at the very center of our design thinking. And uh, we integrate this model risk office with our data scientists, product developers, and many others to inform how we build and select models. I think that's a fair answer. I appreciate that. Dave, I want to, let's bring it back to the wider business side of things, because obviously you build up a great team at Data Insights and Capital One's history. As we've said earlier around technology, there are a lot of other companies looking to do what you guys are doing that don't have that talent purely because there's a shortage and, you know, people don't come or come cheap in this sector. How do you, <laughs> how do companies keep up if they're understaffed in terms of trying to build an ML team, for example? Yeah, I mean, one of the things that came through from our Forrester study is that a lot of our uh, participants, a majority of them, are looking to get outside help, and you know that that leads to a, a watch out from our part, which is to say, absolutely seek external partners to help you on your AI machine learning journey, but make sure you're finding partners that have been through the thick and thin of it uh, and actually done that themselves. Right. Um, at the same time, we find it to be very important if you're going to participate in a community that's on the cutting edge of practitioners to be contributing to that community as well. So we have open sourced some machine learning solutions such as our data profiler. They can monitor big data and detect private customer information so that it can be pr protected uh, and provides a pre-trained deep learning model that efficiently identifies sensitive information and generates statistics within infrastructure to build data labelers. So. It's, it's about the community aspect of things, um, and it's about uh, seeking the right partners. On that partner's point, I noticed that in the report, and I was quite surprised that, you know, a small number said they, you know, weren't partnered yet. What would you say to those listening that haven't partnered yet, but are kind of considering it, where to look, where to start? What's your kind of views on that? I'll intersect that with one of the other points that came through in the study itself, which is, um, let's not make machine learning or an AI a shiny object, or should I say, let's not make it a shinier object than it already is, right? I think we're starting to get to a point where boards of directors, investors, management teams are kind of saying, let's not just pursue ML and AI for the sake of saying that we have ML and AI, but let's actually in ensure that it's driving demonstrated business value. Uh, and that means that we should be centering our search for partners around the business use cases that we have and the business impact that we want to see, not just somebody saying that they have bona fides implementing machine learning writ large. Uh, so think about exactly the impact that you want to have, be it from a financial standpoint, from a customer experience standpoint, from an efficiency standpoint, uh, and seek out a partner that has bona fides along those lines, not necessarily one that just has general uh, capabilities that they can say they've demonstrated in machine learning, right? So as we at Capital One have sought out partners, we're not looking for folks that say, hey, we did X, Y, Z in the pharmaceutical space, you know, therefore we should be helping you in financial services and the like, right? Um, so um, I, I think it's really important for folks to live that philosophy. And to add to that as well, to, to have an internal team above you in C-level maybe that understand why you're doing it they're not just saying go and do it right they actually understand the reasons behind it i think that that's something that i've seen a lot more of is you know a more holistic approach 
Um, yes, I've, I've been really inspired by how our C-suite has really rolled up their sleeves to understand data, understand technology, and understand, understand machine learning at a very deep level. So you can't just kind of glaze over details whenever you're talking to them. Um, everybody here has a responsibility as a leader, not just to be a general manager, but to also be fluent in the language that our CIOs and CTOs and CDOs uh, speak in terms of. Dave, we're talking in November time, nearly the end of the year. I'm interested to see if you have any kind of predictions on what's next for the kind of business side of ML, because, you know, everyone's looking ahead to next year and it'd be great to get your insights. Yeah. One of the other things that came through in the study that we conducted with Forrester um, was that a lot of the most immediate applications that folks have on their mind in terms of how they're going to apply AI machine learning go into the space of anomaly detection. Now, detecting an anomaly is nice, but it doesn't close the loop. It just tells you, hey, something's off here. Um, so it was interesting to me that there uh, wasn't an appetite to say, okay, now that an anomaly has been detected, let's go ahead and create, proactively create a defense uh, or whatever else it might be, some sort of action that accompanies that anomaly and automate the full closed loop and ensure that there's feedback now to see if the rule or defense, whatever it is that we implemented as a result of detecting that anomaly, uh, was actually the right move or defense. So uh, I would love to see in 12 months time uh, that we're talking not just about machine learning uh, being deployed as a component of an existing legacy business process, but being deployed in such a way that we are using the algorithms to actually close the loop. Um, you know, and this, this draws uh, similarities to the fraud defense use case that I, that I uh, discussed earlier. Uh, and seeing more examples like that out in the wild. And Dave, finally, we've got 12 months to look ahead again. What's next for the Data Insights team and, of course, yourself at Capital One next year? For myself, I will be thrilled if I'm still leading the Data Insights team in a year. This is really cutting-edge stuff, and it's a really talented group of professionals and um, extremely sharp machine learning engineers and data scientists and product specialists that I get to work with uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. For our Data Insights team, we are on a mission to not just uh, formalize and componentize our capabilities and make them recyclable and reusable, but to make them more accessible as well. Um, when you start to get into the space of machine learning, within a sentence or two, you start to get into topics that feel very esoteric to the average analyst or somebody who's not well-versed or well-studied in data science and machine learning. Uh, so how do we actually make those capabilities so that the average analyst who may just have a basic stats background, maybe even an economics or physics degree and that sort of thing, be able to take a data set and apply machine learning algorithms to that data set and then operationalize that into their day-to-day -day, uh, business? That's sort of our vision. Um, and uh, we've got some exciting things that we're working on to, to make that democratization journey happen. I know it's, it seems like a long way off, but trust me, it comes around fast. So let's <laughs> let's hopefully meet again in 12 months and, and see how you're getting on. Dave, thank you so it. much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Ben. To get more AI news and insights, visit our website at aibusiness.com. Until next time, thank you for listening.